Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Hey, you know, one of the mistakes people make when reading the Bible is they read the Bible with themselves as the hero or with themselves as the point. So we read the Bible with the question, what does this mean to me? Now, there is a sense in which that is correct, but that is down the list in the importance of reading the Scripture. The question is not, what does this mean to me or how does this apply to my my life? The real question, the most important question is, what does this say about God? See, God is the hero of every story. It's not the individual characters of the story. And we know that to be true for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that if the heroes were the hero of the, if, if the people were the heroes of the story, we wouldn't have so much dirt about them in the story. You ever notice that? How the Bible doesn't pull any punches? When you read the stories of, of godly men and women, it always adds the truth about who they were. There's all kinds of dirt. There's all kinds of junk that's revealed. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll go, man, how did God ever use them? And that is entirely the point. The story of the Bible is the story of God. And what's really cool about it to me is that the overarching story of the Bible, one of the overarching themes is the sovereignty of God. That God has the ability to never be surprised. He has the ability to never be shaken he has the ability to never be, be moved in a way that is, not, that is contrary to his character and his nature. And because this story is about God, because it's about his sovereignty, when we look at individual stories, we can truly look in amazement how God could do all kinds of things in the midst of one single circumstance. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 13 and let me show you what I mean. So, we are, we are in the, the, the second message of a handful of messages about Samson. Now see, even saying it that way, um, it, it's kind of a misnomer because this isn't the story of Samson. This is the story of God and how he worked through the life of Samson. But not just Samson, his parents, the nation, uh, the prophets. And so in Judges chapter 13... We did one verse last week. Let me remind you the context so we know how we got to where where we are today. Judges 13 verse 1 says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines 40 years. So once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the seventh time in Judges that we have this phrase or this idea that once again, right? Once again, once again, it is a non-stop, continual struggle for the Israelites to be right with God. They're constantly sinning. They're constantly going against what God says. And it's almost as if you say, how do you not remember the goodness of God, right? How can you not remember that God has been faithful? How can you not remember that God has been, been uh, um, our supplier and our deliverer? How, how could you forget that? But you got to be careful because as soon as you judge them, you're judging yourself. Because how can I forget the goodness of God in my life? I mean, of all the things that God has done for me, and yet still, I would get things wrong, right? But that's the human condition. The human condition is that we are human. Now, 
God wants us to be righteous and obedient and faithful and all those things. But He understands that our condition is frail. He understands that the nature of man is to rebel against God. And so God has provided for us a way to make it through that rebellion. Not only by His grace, but also by His Spirit. And so the Israelites did what was evil, so the Lord disciplined them by giving them to the Philistines for 40 years. Now, the Philistines were a seafaring people. They were uh, tall. We know if we go farther along in the Scripture, we know that David and Goliath was that epic battle between uh, David and the Philistine, which, by the way, a little, a little, this is, I probably shouldn't do this, but it's too good. Who is the giant in the story of David and Goliath? It's not Goliath. It's David. If you really think about it, David is the giant in the story of David and Goliath. Go chew on that for a little while. So the Philistines were seafaring people, but, and they tried to occupy Egypt, but they, they were kicked out of Egypt, so they moved north into Israel, and they settled on the seaside over by... Um, uh, oh, gosh, what sea is that? Anyways, on the left side, if you're looking at a map. There were five cities that they occupied. And they were making their home in these five cities. And God said to the Israelites, they are going to be in your life and they're going to be a, a rock in your shoe because of your disobedience. I want to teach you that I am the Lord your God and not any of these other gods. But here's the cool part. Verse 2 tells us that God already had a plan when he started that discipline process. Listen, the sovereignty of God, he's not surprised. And anytime there's trouble, we also know that there's a solution. In fact, if we go to Genesis chapter 1, we know that there was a problem. The problem was what? Sin. There was a separation from God when Adam and Eve sinned against God. But God already had a solution. Listen, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. God always has the problem figured out. Whatever trouble you're in in your life, God always has a plan. He always has a deliverer or a deliverance. You just have to trust Him. Amen? Amen. We can go home today. If we, if we just have that, really, that'll carry us through the week. Okay, but wait, there's more. Verse 2, there was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. Now, we know that God had this in his plan, that a deliver. He saw this event in the life of the Israelites way back several books of the Bible earlier in Genesis. Because in Genesis, the Bible tells us that the, the tribe of Dan, there were 12 tribes of Israel. The tribe of Dan was a smaller tribe. And out of that tribe, the Bible says, would come a judge to deliver Israel. God knew this was going to happen before any of these people were ever born. Once again, the sovereignty of God tells us that there's nothing you go through, there's nothing you deal with, there's nothing as a church, as a nation, as a family that will ever happen in our life that God is not completely and fully aware of and on top of. Question, who is the enemy of Satan? Or rather, who, who is the, the nemesis or the arch enemy of Satan? Now, I, I say that like... Um, the arch enemy of Batman is who? Joker, right? Did I get that right? The arch enemy of Superman is who? 
Well, that, that's his, there, no, there's a person. Who is it? Lex Luthor, right. So, so every, every, every villain has a, an enemy, right? A good guy. And it's in this, this battle between good, good and evil, right? So who's the enemy or the, the arch rival of Satan? Ah, that's a trick question. The arch enemy of Satan are the angels, Gabriel and Michael. How do we know that? Because God was not created. He created the angels. So God is up here. The angels are a little lower, right? So how can you have someone who's a little lower be equal in rivalry to God? What that reminds us is this, that we're not fighting a battle against someone who is equal to God. We're fighting a battle against someone who wants to be God but will never be God because he's lower than God and always has been and always will be. The problem with Satan, his problem was pride. If you go back and you look through Scripture, you'll find that his fall was because he wanted the worship that God was receiving. And so God kicked him out. All right, this, this is way farther than we can go today, but just think about this. Because the enemy doesn't have God as an equal, when we start seeing God for who God really is, then all of our problems get really, really small. Because the Bible tells us that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Listen, here's what that means. If God is for us, the author and the creator of life, the sustainer of all things, the one who spoke into existence when nothing existed, he is the one who is for us. And if he is for us, truly nobody, no thing can be against us. The enemy and all of his peons, they're, they're, they're against us, but they're really not powerful at all compared to the power of God. And so what we focus on is fighting the devil. Our attention is, is trying to do the right thing, and it's like we're in this battle against good and evil, and, and, it's, and it's God calling us up, and he's saying, look, your battle is not against the devil. Your job is to trust me. And if you will trust me by faith, I will work all these things out in your life. The strongest person in this room is the person with the most humility and the closest walk with Jesus. doesn't matter how many muscles you have. It doesn't matter how many people follow you. It doesn't matter how smart you are. The strongest person in this room is the one who is humble and who's close to Jesus. Why? Because my strength is in the Lord. If my strength is in the Lord, nothing else matters. That's kind of what this story is showing us. And so there was a certain man from the family of Dan. God had already planned to deliver the Israelites. His name was Manoah. And here's the best part. It says his wife was unable. He didn't even call her by name. So this man, Manoah, and his wife. Now that's not to say that she wasn't important. It's to say that her name was not important. What God was doing through her was what was important. You ever notice how in our economy we seek to be known? We want people to know us. We want people to remember us. We want people to listen to us. 
Again, the most powerful people are not people who make themselves known. They're the ones who trust God in humility to do what only God can do and to do what He wants to do through us. Insignificance is actually a gift if you are trusting in Jesus to work in you and through you. This woman essentially was a nobody. She didn't have a great name. She didn't, we don't even know her name. She's the woman. Right? Jane Doe. And yet, the woman had a problem. She was unable to conceive and she had no children. So her womb was closed. She was barren. She did not have children and she could not have children. This would have meant that in her society, she would have been somewhat of an outcast. She would have been judged. She would have been called a sinner. You've done something, obviously, because if you can't have a child then God has closed your room and you must have done something to really tick him off because, you know, not having a baby is, you might as well cut off your arms and, I mean, live in a hole. I mean, you, you just, you're nothing. I don't know why I said that. I'm trying to explain that it's a, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And yet, verse 3, an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Who did he appear to? He didn't appear to the, to the husband. He went to the woman. Now, we don't know the backstory of whether or not she was crying out to God. We don't know what, what um, she was praying. We don't know what was going on in her family life other than you do know that because she was barren, because she had no children, there was suffering and there was hurt and there was fear and there was guilt and there was shame and there was all those things that come along from being barren woman in those days. And she was letting her husband down because she was the end of his name. Manoah, when he died, would have been no more because his wife could not bear him a son who would carry on the name. Do you see how serious this is? And yet, an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, It is true that you are unable to conceive and have no children. You ever notice how when God deals with us, when he, when he wants to work in us and through us, He always brings us to the reality of who we are? You ever notice that? He doesn't often start by telling us great things. He often starts by saying, you know you're a loser, right? I mean, I mean he probably wouldn't say that. You, you know, but I mean, that's what he said to her. You know you're barren and childless, right? I mean, you know that there's guilt and shame and fear and all that. I mean, you understand. It's like he held a mirror up to her and said, Hey, woman, you know you are hopeless. And... When he was saying that, I imagine that the words would have been more like, you know that the world calls you hopeless. You got nothing. But God. But God. He said, you have, are unable to conceive, you have no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Imagine this woman's heart, mind, thoughts, body when she hears these words. I suspect she would have started to tremble. I suspect that if she's like normal humans, she would have had this ray of hope exploding inside of her and yet this question of, I don't want to get my hopes up, right? You ever had that happen? You're like, ah, I don't want to be too excited. Because I don't want to be too disappointed if it doesn't. I mean, we don't know this, but I'm just imagining if she was a human, like living and breathing, then that would have been probably what she was dealing with. And yet, 
the promise from this angel of the Lord was that she would conceive and she would give birth to a son. And then he commands her, Now please be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean. For indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. What did she just hear? You are a chosen woman. Out of your barrenness, out of your desperation, I am going to raise up a deliverer for my own people. Because as God, it's what I choose to do. Don't miss this. In His sovereign power, God can, does, and has every right to choose whatever He wants to do. Amen? He has the right, He is just, He is good in choosing whatever He chooses to do. He can choose to bless you. He can choose to make you poor. He can choose to do whatever He wants to do in your life and in my life. And He is perfectly right in doing so. Why? Because He is the Lord God and there is none like Him. We have trouble with that. Because in our humanness, we want to judge God in His fairness based on what we think fairness is. But folks, let me tell you, our understanding of fairness is nothing to God. He is far different in the way he thinks and in the way he acts than what we oftentimes will give him uh, uh, credit for, what we will recognize. In fact, it is true that what we want to do with God is take him and put him into a little bitty box. And your box of God is determined by your past experience and by your hopes of what you want to see happen. But I got news for you. God doesn't fit in the box. Come on. Amen. He doesn't fit in the box. He doesn't fit in a Baptist box. He doesn't fit in a charismatic box. He doesn't fit in any box because God is God. And because He is God, He does things that sometimes we don't understand. And we can ask Him, say, Lord, I don't understand. And God says, it's not for you to understand. We see this later on when Manoah says, hey, what's your name? It's too much for you to understand. My name is wonderful. There are some things that we will never understand about God. There are questions we have about, about how God works that we'll never get, we'll never figure out. And our tendency is to accuse God, say, God, you owe me this, you must tell me. And God says, excuse me? It's kind of like, like when, when my kid will come in and say, you owe me Disneyland. Who lied to you? I never promised you Disneyland. In fact, I told you the exact opposite. If you're ever going to go to Disneyland, your grandparents will take you. Because I hate, I mean, I don't hate. I mean, I just, I'm not really a huge, anyways. But you know the point. Guys, listen, God is God. And he, here's what we don't need to miss here. He is at work in the life of the Israelites. He is at work in the life of, of Manoah and his unknown wife's name, right? He is at the life in, in work of the life of this boy that will be born named Samson. He is at work in the life of the Philistines. Because you know what God wants for the Philistines? That they would come to a saving knowledge of who he is. He doesn't want them to be destroyed, although he's going to cast out judgment on them. What he wants for them is for them to know Yahweh, the one true God. Everything he does is so his people and so the world will know him. 
And what I find so neat about this, and you can see it in your own life, is God is at the same time working in multiple places. Like, He's working in Donnie's life, and He's working in Barry's life, and He's working in Krista's life, and He's working in Josh's life, and, and, and he just, He's working in all of our lives. In fact, you guys are going to leave here today, some of you anyways, maybe a bunch of you, and you're going to go, I can't believe you knew what was going on in my life, preacher. And I'm going, I didn't, but God did. You ever notice how you can come to church and God will say something directly to you from whoever's mouth is up on stage? And you're like, how did he know? Because God knew. Amen? Amen? And because God knows, you can trust him. i gotta, I got to speed it up. We're going to run out of time. So <clears throat> the command to this woman was raise him like a Nazarite. But here's, don't miss this. You live the way you want him to live. Let me say it differently. Mom and dad, you live the way I've called your son to live. You stay away from the vine. You don't touch dead bodies. You worry about, uh, uh, be holy in, in the hair. You know, don't cut his hair. Don't. You live the way I've called him to live. Why? Because parenting matters. What you do with your kids is not an accident. Anything or whatever you do is intentional. It's just what intention will you have? There's a reason you do what you do with your kids, right? I mean, you let them stay up till whenever, or you put them to bed at a certain time, or you make them eat this, or you don't make... You do that because you have a reason. You have a, a value system of, of why you do that. What God was telling this woman was, you raised this child for the purpose for which I've called him. What if God knew your children since before they were born? What if God has a purpose and a plan for your kids and you, your job is to prepare them for what God is going to do in and through them? Shannon and I understood this somewhat instinctively when our three kids were born. And I say that because we named our children based on who God is and what God might do through them. Sarah believed God. Hannah was a woman who believed God. So princess of God. and uh, uh, Hannah is grace of God or the gracious, right? Sarah has lived into her name. Hannah has lived into her name. They are who they were named to be. Joshua was supposed to be Joshua Caleb, but Shannon overrode me and it's Joshua Dale. I got half the name I wanted. I wanted Joshua Caleb. Why? Who's Joshua and Caleb? Two spies that believed God when the other ten did not. So from, your, from, your, from their birth, God knew your children. And he gives them to you as a gift. And he says, now raise them to be who I have called them to be. I've got really good news for you and really bad news for you. You can raise them to be who God calls them to be and they can still not be it. And you cannot raise them who God calls to be, and they can still be it. It can go either way, but your job is your job. All right, let's move on. So the woman, verse 6, then went and told her husband. I love the humor in this. 
He went and told her husband, a man of God came to me. He looked like an awe-inspiring angel of God. It goes like this. Hey, honey, he's sitting on the couch, right? Just watching the news or whatever, drinking a sweet tea. His wife comes in. She's like, honey, you're not going to believe this. A man of God came to me. Oh, was he fine. I mean, that's what he was saying. He's like, he was, he was so awe-inspiring. Me. He had muscles, and his jaw was perfectly chiseled. I mean, she was just going on a lot. I just imagine Manoa was like, you know I'm right here, right? I mean, you, you, you know that I'm listening to you, right? And she explains to him what happened and what he said, and Manoah's response in verse 8 is telling. Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, would you please let the man of God you sent come again to us and teach us what we should do for the boy who will be born? In other words, he said, Lord, we've never had a child. We don't know what to do. Will you teach us how to raise this boy so we can raise him to be the man of God you are calling him to be? Don't miss this. There are everybody in the world who has parenting advice. If you don't believe me, have a child. Am I right, Duncan? Right, Matthew? I mean, you can ask Matthew. Everybody wants to tell him how to, and it gets exhausting. And you know what? There are experts. You know what an expert is? According to Mark Twain, he's an ordinary person from another place that doesn't live there. It's a person from out of town. They come in, they're the expert. You got social media experts, and they're telling you all these things. I, I actually read this thing of this, this woman. Oh, my goodness. Her, 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 her goal with her children was to let them do whatever they want because she wanted them to be free to make their own choices. I said, well, you are indeed raising spoiled, rotten brats who will be a menace to society. That's where Lex Luthor came from, by the way. That's where the Joker came from, right? No parenting. The thing is, your parenting comes from what God says about being a parent. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do. Teach me. The Bible tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, he should go Google and search the Internet and find people with wisdom and know, right? If anyone lacks wisdom, go straight to God and say, God, I don't know what to do here. I'm, 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 I'm in deeper water I can't touch the bottom. I'm drowning here, God. And a true prayer of faith, begging God, asking God to give you wisdom, God will give you the wisdom you need, everything you need exactly when you need it. Amen? So how you raise kids, that has already been given to us in the Scripture. But you've got to search for it. And you've got to choose to follow it, even when it doesn't make sense according to what the world's advice is. And so Manoah says, God, would you send this person back? And then I love the way God does it. Um, Verse 9, God listened to Manoah. And the angel of God once again came to the woman. She was sitting in the field, and her husband Manoah was not with her. Now, I don't want to cast judgment, but once again, God went straight to the mom and not to the dad, right? Right? I don't know what Manoah was doing. Maybe he was on the couch. Maybe he was in the field working or working something. But nevertheless, the woman was sitting in a field. Now, that's a strange way to put it, isn't it? What was she doing sitting in a field? I mean, do you go sit in fields? No. 
I just, I, I just have to ask, what was she doing? She was probably thinking through what it would look like for her to be a mother. She was probably asking God, God, would you, would you help me? She was probably a little nervous and a little afraid because this assignment seems to be too much for her. She was probably just being still, praying that God would indeed show her this person again so that her husband could know that it was real and true. Whatever she was doing, the Lord came to her again. And the Bible says the angel of God said or or came And then she got up, verse 10, ran quickly to her husband and said, this gorgeous hunk of a man has come to me just like he did the other day. (laughs) And so verse 11, so Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he asked, are you the man who spoke to my wife? His reply, I am. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing a typology going on. Samson was a deliverer for God's people. If you look at this story, you have multiple clues that this is a type of Christ. What that means is it's a foretelling of what God is going to do about the problem of the world being separated from Him because of sin. And so here are some of the the similarities. It was a woman who was basically unnamed but, but low of stature that God appears to. Who else did God appear to by an angel? Sarah, and remember Sarah appeared to, or or, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Sarah and said, you're barren, you're going to have a son. And Sarah's like, I'm really old. And she was like, no, but this is going to be the son of a promise, right? And out of that son came um, uh, Jacob, right? Did I get that right? And so you fast forward a little bit. And you have Hannah. And Hannah is barren and without children. And an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a deliverer. Out of Hannah came Samuel. And then if you fast forward in the New Testament, you have Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is barren and without a child. And an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to have a son. And he is going to herald the way for the Savior of the world. She had a child, a son, by the name of John the Baptist. Mary, the same way. So you have these similarities, and let me tell you why God does this. He does it to remind us that he's always had a plan for deliverance. He wants us to trace back through Scripture and go, I see his hand at work here, and I see his hand at work here, and I see his hand at work here. He must be speaking the truth in your life. If you'll go back and trace the patterns and the events of your life, you will see a plan that God has been working since from before you were born. You will experience the sovereignty of God and how He has not failed you. He has not abandoned you. In fact, He's been chasing after you. In my life right now, Shannon and I, we are so just just on point with where God wants us to be because of this very thing. We are tracing the hand of God in our life and we can't say anything else but God has been in this all along. And when you finally figure that out, there's freedom and there's joy and there's hope. Church, are you listening? 
God is at work in your life. But you got to realize that it's not about your life. It's about His glory. Your story is the little story inside of a bunch of stories that is the story. The story of God's redemption of mankind. And so Manoah asked this man. He says, can you tell me when the words will come true and what will the responsibility and work of the boy be? In other words, he wanted God to hurry it up. Can, can, can you hurry this up? Can you speed it up? Listen, God is always on time with exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, and not one single hair earlier. Now, sometimes God gives you a big picture. Sometimes he tells you, 10 years from now, this is what you're doing. Most of the time, it's like, this is what you're doing the next hour, right? Isn't that frustrating? I mean, don't you wish that God would be a little more explicit? You want to know why we want to know that? Because we want to control it. We want to figure out what we have to do to help God along in the process of getting us to where we need to be. That's why God doesn't tell you, by the way. He doesn't want you to mess it up. You ever notice how we get a plan for God and then we go off and we start making these plans and we're like, okay, God, I'm doing a good job, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. You missed it. I'm not calling you to do this on your own strength. I'm calling you to do this through my strength. And you ever noticed how the things that the world tells us to do are completely opposite to what God has told us to do? Just, just go back in, in the Old New Testament with me. What was God's plan to save the world? It was Jesus, right? So what was Jesus' plan to carry on the mission of God in the world? Well... The way we would have drawn it up would not have been, let's, let's, let's have a king be born and he will, he will establish his kingdom. Um, our plan would be, let's let there be pomp and circumstance. Let the, the, trumpet, the, the trumpets and the white horses and we'll have all the kings come and give gifts. He was born in a city that was uh, outside of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. He was born in a place where there wasn't even a hotel room left. So he was in a, he was in a, a, a cattle stall. He didn't have all the doctors and pharaohs and kings. He had uh, some shepherds and, and some, some, uh, uh, some animals, right? This is not the good start for a king. This is not how you plan your great influential life. And then he waited 30 years. 30 years. I'm just imagining, you know, my humorous brain, I'm imagining if I were Jesus and I were like 25 and I walk in and, and, and there wasn't enough food, I'd be like... Right? I mean, I, I, or, or I go to eat at somebody's house and they serve me a piece of bread. I'm like, you know, put a piece of ham on that thing. Or it's not ham, probably. Bro. I mean, I, I would, I would, would want to use my power. But he, he was just like totally incognito for 30 years. You and I would be like, Jesus, why are you wasting time? Why are you wasting time? By the way, if you're young, please understand that the most influential uh, season of your life, according to the experts, those people don't live here, is 55 to 70. So if you're not 55, you probably haven't hit your peak yet. Just take that for, yeah, I know, all of us old, all of us in like 50 were like, whew, there's hope, right? Here's the thing. He waited 30 years, and then, and, and then it was like, okay, it's time. And 
He, he, he took 30 years to do nothing but walk with the Father. And he took three years to instigate his great plan for changing the world. By the way, nobody in human history has changed the world like Jesus. He is the standard by which we tell time. A.D. B.C., right? His plan was this. I'm going to come with humility. And I'm going to come with gentleness. And I'm going to speak truth. I'm not going to seek political power or position. In fact, I'm going to go find some, some, some nobodies. I'm going to go find a couple of guys who are fishermen. And I'm going to find a tax collector. And I'm going to, I'm going to find a doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a few people who will follow me, and I'm going to just spend my life with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And what I'm going to teach them about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God doesn't look like the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is upside down, in that humility is the strength of the kingdom. That weakness is the strength of the kingdom. That God will do more through a weak humble, dependent man with no name than God could ever possibly do with somebody who is strong and mighty and known. Are you seeing the difference here? And his plan was, I'm going to spend my life for three years with these 12 disciples. I'm going to teach them everything about the kingdom of God, which is completely opposite of what they think they know. And we know that because they were constantly going, Jesus, aren't you going to do something awesome? And he disappears. Jesus, don't you want to take this, this opportunity and leverage it to build yourself? I don't need to do that. I only do what my father tells me to do. And then after those three years, he is going to die on a cross at the hands of humans. And when he dies, he is going to pay the eternal price. He is going to, going to pay the ultimate price of his blood for yours. He is going to satisfy the guilt of mankind. On a cross. And then he's going to go into the grave for three days. And on the third day, he's going to bust out of that grave. And when he does that, he is going to once and for all cancel the grip of death in the lives of everyone who will trust him. This is what Jesus' plan was. Now, any of us who were consultants who were, were trying to give him some advice in starting this business of world domination, right? We'd be like, hey, that's not how you dominate the world. I mean, I love your heart for it, but that's, that's not it. Jesus goes, no, because you don't know my Father. Because greater is in who, he who is in me than he who is in the world. Because my Father's enemy is no one. I mean, they, they can be enemies. My Father's equal. My Father's rival is no one. Do you not know that God could go, oh, I don't want that. We were joking in staff meeting that what if God created some things just to be humorous by going... I mean, literally, sorry, I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but, but honestly, God could blow air out of his nostrils and create the universe. Do you think he needs you or me to do anything? Y'all here, right? Right? I'm sorry, I'm getting so excited. Just can't help it. The angel of the Lord said, do everything I tell you. And if you just keep on through the passage, basically... Manoah said, look, I want to honor you. Let me prepare a young goat for you. And the angel said, you can't do that because if you do, I won't eat it. But if you want to prepare an offering, offer it to the Lord. Then Manoah said, what is your name so that we may honor you? Don't miss this. 
Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord asked him. Since it is beyond understanding. That phrase, it is beyond understanding, is this. Since it is wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Sovereignty of God. All-powerful, all-knowing in every possible way. You can fight against him, but you're going to lose. You can yield to him, and he will do marvelous things both in and through you for his own purpose and for his own kingdom. And if you follow it through the end, verse 24, So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and blessed the Lord. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And then the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So I want to just say to you that, that God's hand has been in your life. Even if you're not yet a Jesus follower. You know, it, it's not God's desire that anyone perish but that everyone would have everlasting life. It's not God's desire that anyone would, would, be, would be lost or would be, would be wandering in life. God's already given us a plan. He's already said, I am with you, but you've got to trust me. But that trust doesn't happen until we kill our pride and say, God, I need you. There is no place in the kingdom of God for pride. It's the killer. It's, it's the death nail every single time. And let me just, let me encourage you. Every one of us is prideful. Right? Every one of us. We're even prideful in our humility. Have you ever thought about that? I'm, 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 just, I'm actually pretty humble. No, you're actually pretty prideful that you're humble. I mean, it's like, it's like our heart deceives us in these things. What God wants is for us to lay out. He wants to recognize we are barren. We have no children. We are hopeless. We got nothing to offer God. And yet, God, I've heard that you're a good God, and so I trust you. I've heard that you're just, and so I can't fix these injustices, but I'm going to trust that you will. I've heard that you're forgiving, and I don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm going to believe what you say. See how it works? And God, when you see him for who he really is, changes everything. This morning, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. If, you've, if you're watching by way of TV or by Facebook, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is not by grace that, or it's not by works that you're saved. It's by grace through faith. It's Jesus plus nothing else. If you're here this morning and you've really been wrestling with who's controlling your life, I just want to invite you to totally lay your life down to him. And say, God, I, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid. I got all these things in my life, but Lord, I'm just going to trust you. And know that it is step by step by step that God works through you. You can't see it now, but his faithfulness has been there since from before you were born. And if you've got kids, raise them to be the man or woman God has called them to be. 
And notice, it wasn't who Manoah wanted him to be. Lord, what do you want him to be? What are your plans for him? That's a hard one for a parent. But God is God. Will you close your eyes and pray with me? Father, my deepest desire is that we would grasp the breadth and the width of the kingdom of God. God, my greatest desire is that we would see you in this story of the Bible and understand in our own story that you are at work. Father, I pray that you would give us unlimited trust in you, that we would just say, yes, Lord. Father, thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you that this world is not our own. God, thank you for your people who are here today. May you give them faith today. Grow their faith from wherever it is into something larger. Help them to see you and who you are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing. And this is a chance for you to do something with what God is calling you to do. I don't know what that is. I mean, I could throw some things out there, but at the end of the day, that's between you and God. Would you just say yes to Him? Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First